Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Hey, Sozo fam. This is Joel. I'm excited to talk with you. This last Sunday, our our message had some technical difficulties, and so I'm excited uh, to give you a a recap. I know we got folks that listen um, from around the nation, around the world, and so I'm excited just to uh, reteach this uh, so that you can be in on uh, where God is taking us. We're starting off a series called The Way of Love with a message called Empowered by Love, and I'm really pumped uh, for us to live this thing out. So we'll jump on in. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know, but it's about how comfortable you are with love. I'll say that again. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know, but about how comfortable you are with love. You see, the way you love others is a manifestation of the way you believe God loves you. And so it's really important for us to understand that our, our role in the Christian life is, uh, is not simply to know about God, but it's actually to love like God. In fact, I think if you would have followed Jesus around, you would have noticed not the you would have noticed the brilliance of his teaching, the supernatural power of his ministry and healings and miracles and words of knowledge and wisdom, but I believe you would have been most profoundly impacted by the love that he carried in such a way that everything else I, w- I mentioned would have faded into the background. You see Jesus moved in love. Everything he did was a timely, circumstantial, personalized expression of love. Even the judgments he spoke to the Pharisees were grounded in his love for them, hoping that if he offended their minds, he might have a shot at getting to their hearts. And so I, I believe that the core of the gospel is, is lived out in learning to love like Jesus. I love what Galatians 5, 6 says, what counts is faith expressing itself in love. I think it's important to understand that our faith is actually about relationship with God. And so the idea of faith expressing itself in love is that faith is a relational word that describes our relationship with God and our faith is then best lived out, expressing itself outwards towards others in love. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. This whole chapter is is really about God supernaturally working in the body uh, in different ways and different manifestations, but it ends uh, by saying something really powerful. Paul uh, says, Uh, and now I will show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. And and he goes on from there into the chapter we all know from weddings, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And what he's really saying is, this is the way that I love you, and this is the way that you should love each other, that you should live in this way. Read that chapter. It's super powerful when we begin to understand the way that God loves us and then the way that he calls us to love. The key to love is actually getting the right starting point. I have a a history of getting well lost. I try to tell people that I'm not lost. I'm taking the scenic route, but the truth is I I often get lost. Not that long ago, Lauren and I were uh, closing on uh, our new house in Northwest Austin uh, is where we went to close. And when we we were there, what we uh, ended up with is being really lost. In fact, we were so lost that our GPS system did not even know where we were. It had us take a a right turn uh, and then an immediate U-turn followed by a left turn and an immediate U-turn followed by another left turn in order to get where we were going. It had us doing circles because it didn't know uh, what to do with us. Another time, Lauren and I, a few years back, uh, we were in uh, Rome and Rome seems to be 
the city that I go to to get lost. But Lauren and I uh, were trying to find, actually, I was trying to find the, the Spanish steps and Lauren was uh, along for the ride and we had Eliza in a little umbrella stroller. And we got to this square and we really didn't know which way to go. And so we did about three circles around this pretty good sized square. And by, I'm sure by the second or third lap, the people uh, that were out drinking uh, coffee, we're probably looking at us thinking, oh boy, here's another couple of lost Americans. And so we're doing circles and and, and by this point, uh, we're getting really frustrated. I'm trying to convince Lauren that I know where I am and what I'm doing. And, and the truth is I didn't have either one of those. Uh, and and so we're pushing Eliza across the, uh, the uh, street at a crosswalk. And we go uh, to get on the other side of, of the curb and there was like a little one inch lip. And, and as we're pushing her, uh, she was launched out of the umbrella stroller and landed on her face uh, right in front of the whole uh, city square. So it was a, a pretty interesting experience and our uh, lostness, not really having the right starting point even cost our kids. And I, and I think for us with the gospel, the key is, is that we get the right starting point. And oftentimes in religion, we, we, we pick up on the wrong starting point and it's hard to get to the right place when you have the wrong starting point. Uh, I love how scripture works. Uh, Solomon uh, covered it pretty well in Proverbs 25 too. He says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. You see, God isn't hiding things from us, but he's actually hiding them for us. In scripture, this is so true. And I think sometimes we miss what really happened at Mount Sinai, when uh, Israel was given the 10 commandments, you see God had just pulled these people out of, of captivity in Egypt and he's inviting them to be a kingdom of priests, people with direct access to God. And so he says, consecrate yourselves for three days and then come on up the mountain to meet with me. And there's, there's smoke and, and fire up on the mountain. And so they consecrate themselves and they, they uh, begin to, on the third day, make their way up the mountain. And we, oftentimes we read this story in Exodus, but, but we miss this piece of the story that I think provides so much information for us. It's, it's Deuteronomy 5.5. 5, and it says, at that time, this is Moses, Moses speaking. He says, at that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. You see, they were actually invited up the mountain and because they were afraid of God, fear actually kept them from fully approaching God. And so they settled for relationship via a proxy, via a priest. They, they allowed Moses to then establish a priest class that, that they missed direct relationship with God. And, and really religion was born out of that experience. My question to us is what keeps us from appro approaching God or what keeps us locked in complacency with relation, in our relationship with God? I think so often we have the wrong starting point and we see God through different lenses that, that cause us to keep him at a distance instead of fully approaching him. But I love the gospel story because in the gospel story, Jesus uh, is really uh, God coming off of the mountain to meet with us. One of my favorite stories, it's in uh, a book called Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. He tells this story of these Navy SEALs, and I think it captures the gospel so well. He, he tells a story, uh, there were these uh, hostages somewhere in the Middle East, and uh, they were American citizens, and they were, they were hostages locked uh, in, in this cell all together, probably about five of them all together. And, and so the Navy SEALs enter uh, the building, and they, they walk in and they, they do what Navy SEALs do, this like surgical 
uh, move in order to extract uh, these these hostages. And, and in doing that, everybody, all the SEALs are safe because they're so well-trained at what they do. And so they get to the cell where these American hostages are and, and, and they open up the door and, and they see the, uh, the hostages actually shrink back and get into the fetal position in fear. You see, every other time that door has opened, uh, they've been afraid of what was going to come through that door. They've been abused and beaten and interrogated by their captors. And so that door opening has never been once a good sign for them. And so they find themselves in the fetal position and, and the, the seals speaking in English say, hey, we're, we're friends, we're, we're Americans, come with us. We're going to bring you to rescue, to safety. And, and they, they, uh, they, they stay locked in the fetal position. It seems as if their words aren't making it through. Um, because they're really haunted by the trauma uh, of what they've experienced. And, and so finally, after, after begging them to go with them uh, to Noahville, one of the seals does the unthinkable. He takes his gun and he sets it down on the ground. He unloads his backpack. He pulls off his helmet, lays his sidearm on the ground, and he approaches the hostages. And there he, he, he gets down in the fetal position and, and lays next to them, identifying with them um, so that they would experience his presence so that he could be one of them. And, and as he got down next to them and became one of them, he begins to make eye contact with one of them, blocking eyes saying, hey, you're, you're safe. Come, come with me. I'll, I'll lead you to safety. I, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm an American. I can take you into safety. And in that moment, the first hostage recognizes, hey, I'm actually secure. And he, he begins uh, to get up and then he nudges uh, the other hostages and, and they follow uh, the SEAL team right into safety. And I think oftentimes when we don't recognize uh, that God actually came to love us, that he, he became like us in Jesus in order that we uh, could become uh, free and, and actually grow in, in becoming like him. And, and, and I love that story because it so beautifully, powerfully captures the gospel that Jesus actually became like us to lead us into freedom that we uh, could enter into relationship with him. And so when Jesus is teaching, he says something that sounds so familiar, but it is drastically, uh, dynamically new. He, he, he's with his disciples in John 13, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. And you see, when Jesus says this, it sounds like the old commands. The old command, uh, Jesus, not, not long before this, had, had summed up and he had said this, that the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and he's basically, for the law, you're summing up uh, the, whole, the whole law. But Jesus says something different here. And I love how Hebrews 8.13 describes these words of Jesus. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. You see, it's not that the law, that the God's covenant with Moses was bad. It was just inferior to what's revealed in Jesus. You see, the law was a tutor that was designed to get us to Jesus. It served its purpose is what Galatians 3 says. And its purpose was to get us into relationship with God. And, and the, the gospel, the law of uh, the, the new covenant is simply this, that, that we would receive God's love and that we would love in the same way that he's loved us. And when we get the starting point right, it actually empowers 
all that we do. And so it's crucial that I understand that God is not asking me to know more about him, asking me to do more for him, but he's asking first that I receive his love. And once I've received his love, it actually empowers me to love like him. I love what uh, John writes in 1 John 3.10. He says, anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to a fellow believers is not living with God as his source. You see, the way that we live, our righteousness, and, and it's important to understand righteousness in the new covenant. Under the old covenant, it was right uh, behavior that got you into right relationship. But in the new covenant, righteousness is actually right relationship that empowers right behavior. And so when we're, when we're not living in righteousness, it actually shows that we have the wrong source for our life. And so it's, it's crucial that we understand to live in righteousness, that we actually have to live loved by God. But it's also important to know that it says on the, the second part of that verse in 1 John 3, 10, it says to show love to fellow believers is not living with God as a source. And so my ability to love others is di- directly, intimately connected to living as God is my source. When God is my source, it actually informs the way that I live because we can't give what we haven't received. And so in Jesus, we receive the love of God. And from that place, it empowers our whole lives. I'll go back to that idea of righteousness. Um, that righteousness is actually proof that we're living as God, with God as our source. You see, uh, under the new covenant, it's actually a covenant of forgiveness, which means this, that God isn't counting our sin against us, that he separated it as far as the East is from the West. It's not uh, God holding a long list of judgments against you, but it, instead he's forgiving us. But that does not mean that sin does not matter. Actually, sin matters a whole lot in the new covenant, but it does not determine our relationship with God. Uh, I love how scripture says that it, it makes us uh, an enemy to God in our minds because sin drives a wedge between us and God. However, it never makes us God's enemy because he loves us and he's treating us with forgiveness. So here's what sin does in the the new covenant. What sin does, our commission of sin actually grieves the Holy Spirit. And and the idea of grieving the Holy Spirit is this, it's in Ephesians 4.30 that it says that. And and what it is, is that because uh, in in the gospel, I become one with Jesus. He's in me, I'm in him. Uh, and, And so we're actually under a covenant, which is an agreement for the purpose of oneness. And so our sin doesn't Uh, separate us from God, although it'll alienate us from God in our thinking, it doesn't actually separate us from God. And so when I sin, I'm actually taking God into that place with me. Uh, Imagine being married and and, uh, going into places or doing things that is uh, damaging to your relationship with your spouse. And it's not as if your spouse is checking out at the, the door while you go in. It's actually that you take them into that place. And that's what our sin does uh, to God is that it actually grieves him. And that's our, our sin of commission, our, our sin of omission. I love what James says, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it sins. What First Corinthians 5, or First Thessalonians 5.19 says is that, that we actually can quench the Holy Spirit. And the idea of quench means to extinguish, to suffocate, to suppress. And so when we don't do what God is actually calling us to do, our our sins of omission uh, actually suppress the Spirit of God in us. And the truth is, is that sin is choosing to live outside of the way of love. I love what Jesus says in John 15, nine and 10. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. 
here's, here's the key. The key is that Jesus actually gives us uh, commands that are leading us in the way of love, in the pathway of love. And so what he's saying is, hey, here's the way you should live. And if you live in this way, this is actually how you stay in my love. I've created a pathway for you to walk on and it's really, really clear. And if you stay on that path, then you'll live fully immersed in my love. And if you veer from it, essentially you're stepping outside of the safety of my love for you. And what you're gonna find is that you you begin to alienate yourself uh, from me in your mind and you begin to actually move into areas that are harmful for you. And so God uh, actually gives us direction in order to protect us and call us to thrive, not to hold out on us. So often the enemy's schemes are to whisper to us that God is holding out on us. And if we believe that God is holding out on us, then we question his goodness and, and we actually uh, step outside of God's very best for us. Well, you see, all of God's commands are aimed at protecting us from what, what interferes with love. You see, he gives us commands. He says, hey, these are the ways that you're supposed to walk in. And anything that interferes with love uh, is, is actually what he's uh, commanding us uh, to avoid. And I, I love this thought. All of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with love. You see, he, he is uh, fiercely protecting his connection with us and he's inviting us actually to do the same thing, but he gives us an option. So here's a question for you. What keeps you from receiving love? I've got kind of three, three ideas, three categories that, that most people, whether it's in the relationships with others or even in the relationship with God, that actually uh, these three things are, are, are often prevalent in people's lives that keep them from uh, receiving God's love and receiving love in relationships. The first one is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is rooted in fear. And self-centeredness says, I have to take care of me first because no one else will. Self-centeredness is healed, is, is resolved in faith, which looks like vulnerably letting God and others know you and what you need and then waiting with them on the patience they wait on you with to get there with your need. Here's the key. Healing from past disappointments is the key to growing in faith. So often our, our, our uh, disappointments of the past keep us from stepping into God's uh, best for us in the future. And so it's really key that we begin to process life, understanding that God is good and he's for us. And as we do, it actually enables us to take steps of faith, which will always lead us out of self-centeredness and move us into God and others' centeredness. Uh, self-reliance is, is the second one. And this is one that I can often deal with. Self-reliance is rooted in pride. It finds its identity and performance and it takes care of self uh, and doesn't let others close enough to care. The antidote for self-reliance is vulnerability as vulnerability is the key to connection. You see, it's impossible for you to be connected in love to somebody that you're not vulnerable with. What vulnerability does is it actually like pulls your heart out of the security of your rib cage and hands it to the other person and says, here's my heart. You can have it. You can either, either uh, nurture it and, and protect it for life or you can squeeze it to death. And the truth is, is that vulnerability is really scary, but vulnerability isn't weakness. It actually actually requires courage. And vulnerability is the key to connection. This is an area uh, that I've been on this lifelong pursuit in growing. Another word for vulnerability is humility. Um, year, years ago, I was with my friend Ayo. Ayo is a big Nigerian guy. And uh, he was visiting me. He was living in England and he was visiting me. And, and we were uh, go, going to the, the grocery store and bought some food to go barbecue, cook out. And so... Uh, we've got a bunch of steaks and a bunch of food sides to go with it. And we're leaving the grocery store and I, I go to pay 
Um, and when I go to go to pay, Io says, who who makes uh, a lot more money than me, um, goes to, goes says, "Hey Joel, I'll pay for that." And I said, "No, I, I've got this." And so I, I pay for him. And then uh, Io, who's probably twice my size and maybe three times my strength, says, "Hey Joel, let me carry that." And I said, "No, I've got this." So often, the phrase "I've got this," if that's something you regularly say, it is a a, a major indicator for self reliance. And so I walk out with uh, groceries uh, bags hanging from both of my arms. And uh, I was walking beside me and he looks at me and he says something that I'll never forget. He says, Joel, when you don't let me serve you, you don't let me love you. And so often what self-reliance does is it doesn't allow other people to serve us saying, no, I've got this. But the truth is this healthy relationship is a two-way street and allows others to serve you, to meet you. And so often when we all operate in self-reliance in our relationship with others, we're often uh, acting that way with God, leaning on our own performance, uh, on our own ability to care for ourselves instead of letting God love us. And I believe when we get vulnerable with God, when we, when we trust him, that we then have the opportunity to move out, move out of self-reliance and into healthy relationship with God. The third one, the third obstacle uh, to receiving from God is self-condemnation. Self-condemnation is rooted in shame. It determines self as as an unworthy recipient of love, rejecting attempts at love by self-disqualification found in criticism of self and fault-finding. Gratitude is the key to overcoming self-condemnation. Gratitude focuses on what is right instead of what is wrong. It embraces the truth that one's worth is not linked uh, to performance. And I think it's important if we're going to move out of self-condemnation, if we're actually going to let God love us, that we would uh, let him uh, love us, not not for uh, how hard we work or how good we are, but lo- let us love us for us. You see, the key, one of the keys to, to healing from self-condemnation is actually recognizing that your value is is actually determined by the price that Jesus paid for us. You see, value is always determined by the price somebody's willing to pay. And Jesus gave up his own life for us. And, and so he actually calls you valuable. And it's crucial that if you're gonna understand that, that uh, and receive God's love, that you actually move out of self-condemnation and you let God determine uh, how valuable you are. And he already decided that you were worth uh, giving up his own life for. And so it's important that we grasp that so that we move forward and letting God love us. I love what Romans 8.1 says. It says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what this means is that we make a shift from our own uh, economy of value and love and step into God's economy of value and love. And when we do that, we recognize that we're actually the ones that Jesus loves, that he really does love us, not just us um, as, a, as one piece of a whole, but he loves individually, he loves us. In fact, uh, I love the way that, that the apostle John uh, writes about himself in his gospel. He says, uh, instead of referring to himself as John or uh, in first person, he actually uh, refers to himself as the one that Jesus loves. And this for me is actually, uh, I feel like God is leading me to, to, call, to uh, being so rooted in this that it becomes part of my identity. Oftentimes, um, in my time in, in prayer in the morning, um, I, I make the declaration that I'm the one that Jesus loves. And it sounds really vain or self-centered, but the truth is it is the key to the gospel that you are the one that Jesus loves. And when we start there, then, then we actually are free to live and put others uh, ahead of ourselves because we recognize that we're loved and uh, by a God who actually demands nothing in return. 
You see, Jesus's love is so powerful that it doesn't demand a response. It doesn't seek to control us and it's not determined by the recipient. Instead, it's an invitation. I believe that real love, that powerful love uh, is so good that it would be hard to resist, but it doesn't force its way. It actually lets the other choose. And so I'm inviting you uh, to recognize that the source for your life is recognizing this, that you are loved by God, that you're the one that Jesus loves. And, and when you do that, I believe that it'll free you to love others well. I, I believe so much that spiritual maturity is, is not simply how much we know, but it actually is how comfortable we are with love and that the, our role in the new covenant, really the, the gospel is declared to the nations when we learn how to love like God. I love you and hope that you have a great week. 